0: What are the greatest risks to human health and to biological systems stemming from wireless networks? In what ways does the next generation of wireless technology compound the threats posed by existing systems? Why do official bodies like the United Nations and world governments seem to be ignoring the known risks associated with wireless technology? Are there ulterior motives and agendas driving the 5G rollout? Are there ways in which the general population can fight back against this war against them? On this week's Global Research News Hour radio program, we once again explore the controversial and concerning 5G rollout as it is taking place around the globe and assess who gains and who loses from this immense readjustment of our society. In our first half hour, we hear from world-renowned expert Professor Oli Johansen about his understanding of the threats to public health. In our second half hour, former UN staffer and whistleblower Claire Edwards talks about how and why our overseers are consistently failing to address the threat and what the public can do to protect themselves. On this week's program, 5G rollout, a high-tech front in the war against humanity, Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of January 24th, 2020. I am series host and producer Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabe Gakin, the homeland of the Metis Nation, and the historical territory of the Nehiwak and the Nakota. We seek to provide you with access to analysis of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our program is available from the Center's website, globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News Site. Reuters reported that the Trump regime will release his No Peace Peace plan ahead of the January 28 meeting with Netanyahu and Gantz. DJT calling it a great plan defies reality. PA spokesman Nabil Abu Rudeine reaffirmed, The Palestinian demand for an independent state within June 1967 borders, free from Israeli occupation and control. On Thursday, Israel's Channel 12, citing unnamed Netanyahu regime sources, said Trump's plan includes exclusive Israeli sovereignty over Jerusalem, illegal settlements, and the Jordan Valley, adding, it supports the illusion of Palestinian self-determination demanding a demilitarized Hamas, along with Palestinian recognition of Israel as a Jewish state, Jerusalem, its capital. That comes from the article, Trump's No Peace Peace Plan for Palestine, Netanyahu Gantz invited to White House to discuss Deal of the Century by Stephen Lendman, posted January 24th. The EJC considers anti-Zionism to be a form of anti-Semitism and employs a newly created definition of anti-Semitism in which certain types of statements about Israel are supposedly anti-Semitic. As a result, EJC's opposition to anti-Semitism often consists of censoring information that exposes Israeli violations of Palestinian human rights. Its new campaign, called Stop This Story, particularly focuses on Instagram, although it will also use YouTube and other platforms. According to the EJC, the campaign will be the, quote, first global initiative of its kind that will leverage Instagram's AR, or augmented reality, effects to drive a global movement, unquote. That comes from the article, European Jewish Congress, or EJC, launches campaign against anti-Semitism, a.k.a. Support for Palestinian Rights, by Allison Weir, posted January 24th, originally published at If Americans Knew blog. (music) Jessica Lynch was in an accident and did suffer a broken leg and hip, but no stab wounds, no bullet holes, no assault, and no rape. In fact, she was rescued by the Iraqis, taken to a hospital, and her road injuries were attended to. Jessica later testified to a congressional committee, quote, I am still confused as to why they chose to lie and try to make me a legend. Unquote. She testified that she had never fired even one shot, that her M16, like all M16s, had jammed anyway, that she passed out from the pain and awoke in a hospital where she was treated very nicely, with the nurses often singing to her to improve her spirits. A doctor at the hospital put Jessica into an ambulance and drove her to the American sector at serious risk to his own life. But when the ambulance approached, the Americans opened fire on it, so it had to retreat. That comes from the article, Fake News and the Naked Government, Jessica Lynch and the U.S. Invasion of Iraq, by Larry Romanoff, posted January 24th. According to the Institute for Government, its departments refuse to comply in full with more than half of the freedom of information requests they receive. Whether you are an ordinary citizen or a journalist, if you want to hold our government to account, you have to be prepared to wait a long time and to fight all the way to the courts. That's exactly what we have been doing at Open Democracy. Last month, the Department for Exiting the European Union belatedly released documents from an influential lobbyist named Shankar Singham to Brexit ministers and senior civil servants after a judge ruled in our favour. The ruling, made by a tribunal in London, came after we had fought a two-year battle for basic transparency. That comes from the article, State Secrecy, UK Government Now Routinely Refusing Freedom of Information Requests by TruPublica, Peter Jogun and... Jenna Corduroy, posted January 24th, originally published at TruePublica. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. As part of this program's ongoing coverage of the 5G issue, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Ole Johansen, a world-leading authority in the field of EMF radiation and health effects. He's an associate professor at the Kolinska Institute, retired as of November 2017. Uh, and has a long background in the neurosciences, and has co-authored together with his supervisor, Professor Thomas Hochfeldt, and many others, including Nobel laureates, 143 original papers, reviews, book chapters, and conference abstracts. He spoke to us from his home in Stockholm. On the subject of electrosensitivity, many people perceive, perceive it as a disease or an illness. But my understanding is you see it as a, a cellularly correct response to electromagnetic radiation. Could you help our listeners make sense of this different framing of what most people would see as debilitating?
1: Uh, well, it's actually not my understanding really because this goes back to both national and international handicap laws and regulations. And above all, the United Nations Convention and special human rights acts for people with functional impairments or disabilities, as they were used to be called. And uh, in them, um, the person with a functional impairment is not the patient, he or she does not have any diagnosis and are not supposed to get any treatment. And a typical example, which I give when I give lectures, is that I cannot speak French. And people laugh about that, you know, but uh, that is actually the definition of the United Nations. Uh, And of course, um, to not be able to speak and understand French or Swedish is not an illness in any way. Uh, It just points to that the environment is inferior to your own personal needs and through accessibility measures such as someone meeting me at Charles de Gaulle in Paris when I arrive for a conference and helps me through the streets and obstacles. And and that's the kind of functional um, accessibility adaptment. And that's the way the Swedish authorities look upon all Types of functional impairments. It's the environment that is ill, it's the environment who should be treated. And also, what has been learned from the United Nations and other authorities is that the numerically big winners uh, are actually everyone, uh, because uh, we all would benefit from, for instance, a faced off sidewalk for a person in a wheelchair. We could use it for a bicycle, for our um, skateboard, our shopping cart, uh, uh, baby pram, and so on. Uh, and the same would go for electron hypersensitivity if we would lower the exposure levels from the colossal astronomical levels we have today down to what these people um, and, um, need for their everyday. And living, then maybe you and I would not get a brain tumor, for instance. Mm. So everyone would be a winner.
0: If I put my hand close to a flame and I feel pain, it's not that I should be treated for the pain. I, we should be looking to put out the fire. Is that kind of like along the lines of what you're talking about oh, there?
1: Yeah, that's a very good uh, analogy, actually, you know. And uh, either put it out or put some kind of shield uh, so that you don't burn yourself or move it. And that's actually very much what we talk about when it comes to health effects of electromagnetic fields. Uh, the remedy for electro hypersensitive uh, persons um, uh, is exactly that, either to move away the source of um, Mm, irritation or to shield it in some way.
0: Now, in 2011, the World Health Organization International Agency for Research on Cancer classified RF radiation from any source as a group 2B possibly carcinogenic to human agent. For listeners unfamiliar with these categories, how would the public and health authorities normally respond to the presence of a class 2B carcinogen in their homes, schools, uh, if it was, say, a drug or or something in the air or water?
1: I mean, um, I would say that... uh everyone would uh, retract from that kind of exposures. I mean, you can compare them, for instance, to diesel exhaust, petrol fumes, welding smoke and whatnot. And uh, I have never come across a parent who want their kids to sit in a schoolroom full with uh, uh, diesel exhausts or welding smoke. So for the electromagnetic fields being classified in the same category would mean, I would say, in an adult responsible world that we would uh, take the kids out of that school and not be allowing them to be exposed. But as you said, uh, not very much practically actually happens with some exceptions. There are countries that have put a ban for various reasons, for instance, in schools. Uh, unfortunately, Sweden and United States are not among them, but uh, countries such as uh, the Solomon Islands, Uh, Nigeria, Uganda, Indonesia, and so on, Uh, and um, from my point of view, it seems as the health authorities in these countries do take a much better responsibility for the citizens.
0: Mm. Now, we've heard a, a number of other concerns uh, beyond the carcinogenic properties related to wireless and EMF radiation. There's damage to the blood-brain barrier, uh, DNA damage, cognitive impairment, infertility in men. Um, as someone who's studied these effects for decades, which of these effects do you think should be of paramount concern to the public?
1: Um, Well, in a sense, you know, this is very interesting you bring this up, because when I give lectures, I point to studies that have shown that various types of man-made electromagnetic fields would produce, like, headaches. And then I ask the audience uh, if they want to have a headache from their cell phone, or laptop, or baby alarm, and so far, after nearly four years, no one has stood up and said oh yeah that's exactly what i want to have so already with this kind of minuscule um uh, impact on your health like a slight headache people yes yeah, say no and of course down the line you will pass and mention leakage of the blood brain barrier no one says yes to that damage to your dna impacts on your sperm cells and whatnot and uh, i would say that what keeps me awake nowadays are studies regarding bacteria. For instance, an American study by Tahirian workers uh, that in 2017 showed uh, that uh, normal bacteria that you and I have on us and in us right now, when they were exposed to Wi Fi router uh, radiation and the second generation mobile telephony uh, type radiation, then um, Not very much happened apart from one thing, namely they became antibiotic resistant. And the very same year, 2017, in Europe, the G20 countries had a special meeting about the fact that more than 25,000 Europeans are put to premature death because of antibiotic resistance in healthcare and it was said that by 2050 more than 10 million people worldwide would die prematurely because of this and Uh, you know, you have to remember that the G20 countries did not know about the Tahiri results on bacteria and Tahiri and his co-workers did not know about the G20 summit. So if you mix these two together, the 10 million people by 2050, could maybe be 7.6 billion people because if we do not have any antibiotics that will work properly and I asked around with my medical colleagues and they pointed to that soon people would start to die again from a splinter in the thumb as they did at the end of the 1900 century. Yeah,
0: That's a pretty profound effect and not one what we'd normally associate with this technology. Um, but you know, speaking of other organisms, I mean, uh, we know that things like, like, like apparently bee colonies and, and birds and, and other uh, organisms and, and uh, inhabitants of the ecosystem uh, are also facing adverse affects. Uh, again, yeah. which of those effects uh, might, might I ask uh, maybe stand out for you uh, uh, that, uh, that should additionally be of concern to the
1: public? Uh, well, I would uh, probably pick out uh, it, like uh, pollinators and honeybees and that kind of insects and impacts on them. But at the same time, I have to be honest with you and say that some of the studies that have come forward are not, uh, how should I put it, are not the very best. I mean, I would like to replicate them and I have tried for years and years to get uh, enough money to be able to do well-controlled studies Uh, so you can rule out different confounders. But the studies that are around, and there are quite a number, they all point to that maybe we are all at jeopardy, not only human beings, but... uh, all animals, insects, plants, bacteria, and what not, so it 's high time to really sit down and look very carefully at the effects that have been shown and um, you know often when you meet people in power, for instance, they are not um, particularly interested. I have just recently written to my own prime minister, and after nearly two months, he has still not responded. But some people that actually have listened very, very carefully to me and have acted for more than 20 years ago uh, are um, and I was nearly going to say, of course, the manufacturers of telecom systems, the operators, all the insurance and reinsurance companies and also radiation protection authorities the World Health Organization and so on. The big players have all uh, abandoned ship and swam away years and years ago. And that's more telling than any test tube or mice or uh, inset I could put up and discuss right now. They have really decided that uh, they should not uh, touch this with a pair of pliers even.
0: Interesting. I, I'm curious about the reaction of the insurance agencies to, uh, these tests? Because I can understand a, a politician or a, a regulator, even an industry scientist being bought off or, or bamboozled uh, into thinking, that, okay, this is perfectly safe. But the insurance industry, I mean, they literally cannot afford to ignore the, the what, 28,000 plus studies showing negative biological effects of, of this radiation. How do you see uh, the insurance agencies responding to uh, the, the kind of science that you've been putting forward? Is it being enacted in their policies? uh...
2: Well,
1: you know, already in uh, in 2002, I think it was, uh, so that's uh, um, 18 years ago, I was at a conference in London, and all the big insurance companies like Lloyd's UK, um, Swiss Rea, which is the largest reassurance company in the world, and a small Swedish company called Ifscandia, they were all present. And there was a lawyer who stood up and he asked them, all of them, and said, hey, now you have listened to scientists like Uli Johansson from Sweden. Uh, So what what is your conclusion? And then I remember that the people from the uh, insurance industry, they all said that for them it was not a question whether this was dangerous or not. They knew it was dangerous. The only question for them was who is going to pay for the party in the future and they will not do it. So therefore they have this um, and it's uh, completely public. You can uh, look at it on the internet. They have this blacklist and on it you would find health effects of all types of electromagnetic fields. You will also find uh, what you today have in like clothes, uh, furniture, in medicine, food uh, and, and baby products and so on, namely nanotechnology. They do not take any form of responsibility for that. But it's sold to us as being completely safe, of course. And also uh, they don't cover damages from GMO and gene-modified organisms such as gene-modified food products. And again, you know, for me as a consumer, this is more telling than any scientific paper I could read on the Internet. They have decided and they have acted. So they have like a precautionary principle of their own, uh, and the, the precautionary principle in their case is to protect themselves.
0: Hmm. Um, could you uh, comment on the, uh, as this 5G, because uh, we, we, we haven't even talked about the 5G uh, yet with the space satellites and the uh, the multiple antennas, Uh, Can you talk, maybe comment on any additional concerns you have uh, specifically that uh, relate to this new technology coming out? Is it just that it's going to be more of the same, only more intense? Or are are there perhaps uh, new dangers that uh, lurk uh, in relation to that uh, rollout?
1: Well, um, that's also a very, very important issue you bring up, you know. And I could just start by saying that – There has been an enormous debate worldwide regarding 5G, much more than we saw with 4, 3, 2 and 1G. Uh, And of course, 5G right now is rolled out in all countries without any form of pre-marketing testing, no due diligence, no strategic health or environmental assessments. So in that way, at least here in the European Union, uh, the 5G rollout is flaunting the precautionary principle. And there has been no public consultation, no informed public consent, which is normally the golden standard. And also for 5G, as for the previous 4, 3, 2, and 1G, uh, it's rolled out without any biologically-based exposure standards. But at the same time, from 4, 3, 2, and 1G, and similar other sources of uh, man-made electromagnetic radiation, we have, as you said before, A huge amount of scientific papers clearly pointing to that this kind of radiation uh, is um, uh, damaging and harmful to public health and to ecology. And also, of course, 5G will have an enormous price tag in the form of a huge ecological footprint, including massive carbon footprints of thousands of satellites uh, and millions of more transmitters and trillions of 5G and the Internet of Things gadgets, all beaming at each other and at us and all increasing, of course, planetary resource depletion. And um, the driving force here is, of course, greed and not need. And uh, it's not so easy to approach, you know, like a person who loves their cell phones and their computers and so on, because 5G has promised us that we should even faster be able to download from the internet and use different surfing functions and and whatnot. And of course, that's tempting, but uh, I think it's high time to really start looking in a serious way on all the research. And as we said before, we are not talking about small things. We are talking about antibiotic resistance in bacteria, damage to the DNA, uh, leakage of the blood brain barrier, association to different type of cancer, tumors, and so on. And, um, but, you know, again, uh, it's like a fantastic drunken party and consumption is uh, at high speed. And um, the few scientists like myself who put up a warning sign or a warning finger, uh, we are shoveled aside most of the time. And um, But I mean, I've taken on myself to always try to inform the general public. And you know, no one knows who I am. So just recently I took a commuter train here in Stockholm and next to me there was a woman in her forties and I leant forward to her and said, hey, you know, I read about these cell phones and the radiation and the World Health Organization that the latter has cancer classified, the radiation. And then she looked uh, with dismay, I would say, um, at me and said, you are um, are nuts, you know, you you are lying to me. No, 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 no. please, you have a smartphone, I said, and Google it. And she started to do that. And after a few minutes, she looked very um, sheepishly at me, I would say, and said, you 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 were right. Why has no one informed me about that? Mm. Uh, so I'm trying to sort of put seeds into the mental ground, and then I have to leave to others to develop these seeds. And you know, in contrast to you, I'm a very old man. You know, so I don't have many years left, and I've tried for forty years to study this, inform the public, inform politicians. I was just recently, a few weeks ago, down in Rome with the Italian parliament. So it is changing. You know, when I started the whole um, career in this specific field, my very first lecture was actually given uh, in an ice cold, freezing ice cold, underground bicycle shed. I was shaking, shuddering. When I stood there, I couldn't show any pictures, nothing, you know. And uh, thirty, forty years later on, I am uh, very honorably invited to people like the um, parliamentarians in Rome, and I've been all over the world. And uh, so it it is a change, but um, I I want to see more, uh, and uh, I have also always talked about that. We need to come up with tomorrow's green uh, human and environmental-friendly technology. And there are companies uh, that are now thinking along these lines. For instance, in Poland here in Europe, we have a company called Mudita, and they have uh, brought forward a low-radiation cell phone. And also there is a Swedish company called RP, which stands for Radiation Protection, RP of Sweden and they produce uh, like a case for a cell phone which dramatically reduces uh, the radiation levels and these are steps of course but they're very important steps and more and more both scientists, politicians, civil servants and the general audience they are asking that question when I come to meetings and conferences uh, the last five years what can we actually do? What can I do to protect myself? Could I in any way lower the radiation? And from the beginning, I had to say, no, not very much. But now there are things coming up, you know. And of course, uh, to um, bring out a low radiation cell phone that would be proven safe would be an enormous winner for any company and country. So I suppose while we talk. There are young men and women in a garage in California actually inventing it right now. Hmm. So it sounds like there's some good
0: news on the horizon in spite of the warnings. Professor Ole Johansson, I, we've got to go now, but it's been a great pleasure and honor to host you on the program. Thanks so much for, for sharing your vast knowledge and understanding with our listenership.
1: Well, thank you very much indeed, Michael. It was a great honor to participate in your radio program here. Thank you. We've been
0: speaking with Professor Ole Johansson, a retired associate professor with the Karolinska Institute in the Department of Neuroscience and world leading authority in the field of EMF radiation and health effects. He joined us from Stockholm. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Claire Edwards worked for the United Nations as editor and trainer in intercultural writing from 1999 to 2017. Claire had warned the Secretary General about the dangers of 5G during a meeting with UN staff in May of 2018, calling for a halt to its rollout at UN duty stations. Claire's own health had been compromised by the wireless infrastructure she had been exposed to while with the UN. Her appeal to the UN body had been ignored. Claire continues to campaign against 5G and existing wireless technology. We're delighted to have her join us from Vienna. Hello, Claire, and thanks so much for making the time to, for this conversation.
2: Hi, thank you for having me. It's I'm pleased to be with you.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but you also wanted to have some sort of a, uh, a an assessment of the health of the people who had been exposed to this stuff. Who, because you have this sort of closed system where all these uh, people are working in that environment, it should have been fairly straightforward to get such a, an assessment. Uh, but do you do you, to to date? Do you have any? Is is there any of that data available? <sighs>
2: Well, I did put that to the Secretary General because um, not so many years ago, the UN did digitalize its medical records. And this means that you could actually assess the consequences for the UN staff over the last four years if you were to look into that data. Now, the problem is that the UN, of course, is extraterritorial. So actually having access to that data would be problematic and problematic. Uh, Yeah, you know, there there would have to be discussions about it. But the point is that data is available. And what I know anecdotally from my colleagues who are still working at the Vienna International Center is that uh, people have suddenly died, Uh, people have had heart attacks. Um, there have, seem to have been a phenomenal number of cases of breast cancer. And, of course, you know, if you wear a wired bra that actually has metal inside it, which could uh, re-radiate this signal into your body. Um, and um, there are also a tremendous number of cases of burnout. And burnout is also associated with exposure to electromagnetic radiation, Um And I did hear that just in recent weeks they actually held some sort of day of um, advice and so on where they brought people into the UN and they had a sort of event to provide advice for people about stress and burnout. So clearly I would say that the medical service at Vienna is not aware, like medical professions prof- professionals pretty much anywhere, they're not aware, they're not connecting these health consequences with this excessive exposure of four years now for the UN staff. Mm.
0: That's quite scary.
2: You know, we've heard
0: from other guests, uh, most notably uh, Professor Martin Paul and Professor Ole Johansson, about some of the negative uh, health effects related to to wireless and and anticipated for the 5G rollout. But what I want to know from you is your insights. As a UN staffer and uh, someone who's looked into these issues uh, carefully, why are official bodies like the UN and world governments seemingly incapable of responding to the threat in a responsible way? Is this some sort of Uh, groupthink? Are are we talking about key people and key places being bought off? What systemically is happening to prevent responsible policy and or responsible enforcement of existing health and safety standards?
2: Well, in order to respond to that question, um, we have to talk about conspiracy Mm. uh, because I have been involved in this campaign for 21 months now, full-time, every day, seven days a week, and I have looked now at thousands of pages of documents, I've watched videos, and I have thoroughly informed myself. So what is clear is that... um, when you look at the literature from emanating from the EU, from the UN, um, and from other countries, you find that the same terminology is used right across this literature. Um, so you can see that they're all singing from the same song sheet. Um, you have the so-called International Commission on Non-Ionizing Radiation Protection. And for most of the world, it's this ICNIRP that produces the guidelines by which um, most governments um, decide on their exposure limits. Now, if you look at ICNIRP, what is it? It is effectively a little club under German law. Now, it's neither international nor a commission. It is a private club of private individuals. They appoint their own members. There is no supervision. There is no transparency. I, living in Austria, I could go and register myself as the international commission on anything I wanted as an official club under Austrian law in a similar way. So clearly, this ICNIRP has no legitimacy And we have to ask the question, then, why is it that the UN adopts these ICNIRP safety guidelines, which are based on science that actually predates the advent of wireless technology and ubiquitous cell phones? This
0: ICNIRP, it's a Mm -hmm. a, a German body and I mean, are, who? what is the expertise that animates this? Are, are there scientists with relevant qualifications?
2: Well, ICNIRP, as I say, it's a little club and the members are technical people. So they are scientists, but there are no medical doctors and there are no environmentalists. And what they do is they systematically ignore... All the science on the biological effects of electromagnetic radiation, which are extremely well established, but they dismiss all of them and they propagate what's called the thermal hypothesis. And the thermal hypothesis says that there are no biological effects. Um, This is all about heating. So as long as you hold the cell phone away from your body, you're not being heated and therefore you are relatively safe, which is not true at all because there are uh, 10,000 studies on the biological effects of uh, electromagnetic radiation. And in fact, the World Health Organization itself held a symposium in 1972 or 1973, which was actually called the biologic effects and health hazards of microwave radiation and since then who has chosen to forget that it organized this symposium and um, there is a whistleblower from who that has exposed the corruption at who uh the who is running a project on electromagnetic fields called the EMF project and most of the funding for this comes from industry. Um, so the ICNIRP itself has been accused of conflicts of interest multiple times. I've lost count of the number of accusations of conflicts of interest. So one has to ask the question why does the UN Adopt these guidelines. I do not see the legitimacy in this, and these guidelines are ridiculously unprotective um, because there was an article just a few months ago where the author took a study that was done on an apartment in Stockholm, a top floor apartment where there was an antenna about 10 metres away. And Professor Lennart Hardell went in and measured the levels of um, electromagnetic radiation in this apartment. And based on that, the author of this article calculated that in... In order for the ICNIRP so-called safety guidelines to be exceeded, you would need to have 666,000 such antennas around that apartment, which gives you a sense of how completely unprotective these so-called safety guidelines are.
0: I was just wondering if you could give us a, a, a little bit more uh, of your understanding of another aspect of this, uh, uh, the, the 5G rollout is the uh, the use of satellites in orbit that's, uh, that's getting a, a lot of attention lately. And it's, uh, you know, this is in addition to these antennas that uh, are, are going to be you know like i think they're talking about 60 antennas for every man, woman and child on the planet that's on the ground what what is behind in your view the uh the launching of all these sap- satellites to integrate with this 5G system is it is it really necessary for the networks that they're wanting to construct and and why
2: well Another thing that we have to understand about this is that everything about this 5G rollout is unclear. And I think this is deliberately so. And uh, I think 5G itself is actually a diversion because I think actually what it means is something else altogether. Um, So unravelling all of this is quite complex. Um, 5G means densification. So as you've said, on the ground... Um, you would have this 5G absolutely everywhere, coming at you from absolutely everywhere. Um, Outside every house, cabinets on the street, under manhole covers on the street, um, in your home, from smart meters, just everywhere. And then uh, you have the satellite situation. So uh, it's not just the satellites. So... The satellites, currently, there are approximately 53,000 satellites plus planned. Um, but even in addition to the satellites, you're also looking at pseudo-satellites in the stratosphere, uh, which would also be providing uh, Internet access for um, underserved areas, so less populated areas. Um And then you're also talking about civil aircraft being networked also to provide broadband access and beam that down to earth. So you're actually talking about at least three layers. Now, the satellites, there are a number of issues with regard to these satellites. When I was working at the UN, I was editing the documents of the UN Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, And I can tell you that the two major issues, year after year after year, were space debris and weaponization. So let's deal with them one by one. Space debris. There was a paper written in the late 1970s, I think, by a man called Kessler, who posited what became called a Kessler syndrome. And he said you could reach a situation where there would be so much space debris in the space orbits, and this space debris is, of course, called by, caused by all the activities in space yeah, over the, the decades of space uh, exploration. And he suggested that you could... Um, have this situation where you reached such a density of space debris that you could have a cascade of collisions which would become unstoppable. So this was called a Kessler syndrome. And he suggested that the space orbits could then become unusable for a thousand years. Uh, So, the space debris was a very, very major issue. Now, um, according to the size of space debris that you look at, uh, there are between 500,000 of a certain size and millions of a tiny size bits of, of space debris up there. So, although the UN, year after year after year, was very concerned about space debris, suddenly we have a situation Now we're going to put up 53,000 satellites in a free-for-all and we no longer even talk about the concern of space debris. Then the other issue was always weaponization and um, every meeting somebody would always talk about the issue of weaponization of space. Now you have the Outer Space Treaty of 1967 which actually says that it is illegal to put weapons in space. So you have to understand that uh, you already have the problem of space debris. We already have satellites in the Earth orbits that are using nuclear power sources. And there have been problems in the past with this uh radiation from uh, nuclear objects actually reaching Earth. There was a situation, I think, uh, some decades ago. Um, so the idea of having uh, an extremely um, extremely dense situation with this space debris uh, plus the nuclear power sources on existing satellites, um, then putting weapons in space well the, the 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 militaries of the various countries do depend on satellites for their intelligence so if you start putting weapons up there and you already have the space debris problem then you could have a situation where one of these satellites used for military intelligence blips out and nobody knows it could have just been a collision with space debris or a collision with one of these 5G satellites and it blips out and that country might believe that it's under attack and could launch nuclear missiles or other means of of defense so this is uh, this is extremely dangerous what is going on. Uh, now you have the situation even further complicated because in December 2019 NATO declared space a domain of warfare and I haven't really seen this discussed anywhere but declaring space a domain of warfare as far as the outer space treaty is concerned i don't see that that declaration is illegal but as soon as they do put a weapon in the earth orbits that does become illegal under the outer space treaty now france has has um, decided to launch a space force um the u.s has decided to launch a space force Um, And they are both signatories to the Outer Space Treaty. So, you know, regardless of the 5G aspects, and of course, you know, if you just look at the the 5G aspects of these 53,000 satellites, it's not actually clear yet the function of these satellites. And as far as I understand it, the telecommunications companies have not yet worked out how these satellites are going to communicate with the ground stations that they need. So these satellites, now it is complicated yeah. because the, you, have, uh, you have different Earth orbits and these 5G satellites are going to be in the low Earth orbit or the very low Earth orbit. And the reason for this is that this would be closest to the Earth, closest to the ground. And therefore, what they are seeking is what they call low latency. So, you know, as instant a uh, communication as possible. And if you use the higher Earth orbits, then you would not have that low latency. So, let's say uh, the most de- desirable uh, um Orbit would be geosynchronous orbit, where the satellite can always be above its target on the Earth, and it would remain in situ above that target. Um, But if you put your 5G satellites in geosynchronous orbit, then you would not have low latency. And this is why they've chosen the low Earth orbits. Now, the problem with the low Earth orbit and very low Earth orbit is, as I understand it, is that the satellite will only remain in range for about 10 minutes. So you're going to have to hand off the the ongoing communications or calls on the cell phones, you're going to have to hand them off from one satellite to the next as the satellites move on. And they have not solved how that's going to happen. So technically they have not resolved how this is going to work. So as far as I'm concerned I find all of this unconscionable. Uh, We have astronomers and meteorologists complaining about this and saying this is going to wreck their scientific endeavours. And in the case of meteorologists, of course... They are predicting the weather for us. And this has very serious implications for a lot of our activities on Earth, such as aviation, such as maritime traffic, um, such as our GPS systems and and so forth. We actually do need these things. So why is it that commercial interests trump everybody else we hear
0: activists know uh, many of them well intentioned focusing overly much on the health impact and and to be certain those are a concern but without you know widening the scope of the conversation is there a danger that uh, that uh, we could uh, shift our focus uh, away from what it should be so i mean so so we we may end up with uh you know activism that's more geared toward protecting us from the health impacts rather than putting an end to this agenda do, do you have any concerns about uh you know the uh, misleading of the uh this uh movement
2: i think that there is a great deal of confusion and deliberately so. Um, this is being rolled out extremely fast and, as I say, the um, the technical aspects of this are not even worked out. Yeah? So one has to question exactly why is it that this is being characterised as a race, that uh, each country is in a race with all the other countries to get this rolled out first. Um, I think it's extremely suspicious. Um, There are a couple of reasons, well, a couple of reasons, major reasons for that. Um, So what people have to understand is that with 5G, there is no coming back. Now, in normal circumstances, when we are confronted with problems such as, for example, tobacco or asbestos, um, we can... Make a mistake, and of course, tragically, many people are injured and many people die. But eventually, the mistake is realized and laws are put in place and people are protected and we say, okay, well, we learned our lesson. But with 5G, you see, this is something totally, totally different because this is cosmic in implications. Uh, This is the end of life as we know it. This is about putting a total surveillance and control grid in place. You only have to look at what's happening in China where you can see the social crediting system which has already blacklisted 13 million people who are now non-persons in Chinese society so you have that control grid aspect and you also have the very serious uh, health and environmental implications so in terms of health you know Professor Martin Paul has talked about brain injuries which he said could happen very quickly and we would no longer be able to function as societies because nobody would be able to think properly now you have a a scientist in the United States at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology who is predicting that um, every second baby will be autistic in the United States um, by 2025 so you begin to see that if this is allowed to happen... Now, you, you've also got implications of sterility, which I'm sure you've also discussed with uh, Professor Ole Johansen and Professor Martin Paul. So you have also irreversible sterility now you already have Wi-Fi in schools it's established that this causes sterility so we're already heading for a serious problem of, of uh, infertility and um, Barry Trower the British weapons expert says that within 5 generations and that's not 5G that's based on previous generations of wireless technology not on 5G but he says within 5 generations you would have 100% sterility so with 5g all of this would happen uh, a great deal faster so what i'm saying here is that this 5g is a mistake that cannot be allowed to happen because you would not be able to come back from it so it's i believe it's being characterized as a race And it was given the name 5G or fifth generation so that people would assume that it was just an upgrade from the fourth generation. But that's not the case. This is a completely different technology. Um, Claire, I was just wondering in in the the time remaining, uh, what what
0: course of action do you recommend listeners do to to try to resist or or reverse this uh, uh, diabolical agenda as it would seem to be?
2: Yeah, I would definitely call it diabolical. Um, Well, I believe that 5G has a form and a function, and the two are very different. So the form of 5G is as I've described, but the function is that 5G would be completely inescapable for the reasons that I've described. It's it's proposed to be absolutely everywhere, saturating the entire planet, and it is a global agenda. So, unlike all previous problems that we've faced, you're not going to be able to protect yourself from 5G. You're not going to be able to move house. You're not going to be able to go to a country where it does not exist. You're not going to be able to shelter. Uh, you're not going to be able to go underground. So... You only have one choice with 5G. As as I've said, it cannot be reversed once it's there. So this requires every individual now to take responsibility. And I think the major problem we have on the planet is that people don't take responsibility and they don't inform themselves. So for the first time we have something where people really must inform themselves, they must inform other people, and they must then take action. And I see this as individual action, so I see this actually as personal transformation. And this is something that I've lived for the last 20 months because I've actually changed hugely in these 20 months and learned an awful lot started to do all sorts of things for the first time, which I've never done before in my life. And I think when individuals change, then you've actually changed the paradigm on the planet. So, in a sense, I actually see this as a a spiritual process. But what I'm extremely concerned about is that the perpetrators of 5G are actually hijacking the Stop 5G movement. And I became aware of this just a few weeks ago. And we have to be extremely careful, I believe, not to be collectivised, because if that happens, then we will once again give our power away and we will be manipulated, exploited and misdirected. So I would say to everybody, please, as an individual, take responsibility, inform yourself, and stand up and say no to this agenda.
0: Claire Edwards, uh, I want to thank you very much. We're, we're certainly not finished with this subject. Uh, we're going to be doing more shows in the, in the future for sure, but I, I want to thank you for sharing your insights, and I hope we can have you back at a later date. Uh, thanks so much.
2: Thank you very much.
0: You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour. You can hear our program every week on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States. You can also download our program from the website globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I'm series host, creator, and producer Michael Welch. Thanks for listening. Please join us again next week.